something that I wanted to start kind of doing, um, even before we pray, uh, is just read the text. Um, this morning, it's only six verses, and so uh, if you will, uh, turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Acts 2. We're going to pick up where we've left off from last week. Now read me in verse 42. So Acts 2, 42 begins with, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Please pray with me. Dear God, we confess that it's only through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross that we can stand before you today. And as we just read in Psalm 70, we confess that we are poor and needy, that we're all sinners, helpless, and that we're in desperate need of help from you, our deliverer. And Holy Spirit, Spirit, I I pray that you meet us wherever we are this morning. some, Some with us, some present online. Some this morning have come with heavy hearts from a long week. Some are even just stressed thinking about this next week. And some this morning have come broken, sick, some, again, angry, others in fear, and some simply at their wit's end. May they turn to you, and may your peace abound in their lives. May your holy presence be felt this morning. Lord, we we pray for our neighbors, both locally and globally, who have yet to trust in the name of Jesus, we pray with the psalmist, let all the earth fear the Lord and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So Lord, for that, we ask that you guide us this morning to be nourished by your word. Help us to receive it with glad and generous hearts. And I pray that all comes upon every soul here this morning. For the believer, for the non-believer, for the faithful Christian to the failing Christian, to the seeker, to the scoffer, we pray that we feel that all this morning in your word. For your glory and the power of Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. If this is your first time joining us, 
Uh, we have been journeying through the book of Acts uh, in this series called Becoming His Church. Um, and once again, um, just to remind you guys, um, it's called Acts um, because it records um, the acts of the apostles, or better yet, um, it records the acts of God through His Holy Spirit working in these apostles. Um, and Acts is, again, uniquely significant for two, two big reasons. Um, it's the first record of church history. This is church history. We relate to this. This is the beginning. And it allows us this greater understanding um, of the New Testament, the New Testament epistles. It helps us connect the dots between them. So it's because of this that the importance of Acts is very, very significant. Um, it cannot be overstated. Um, Acts enriches our understanding of the information found in the epistles, and it enriches, it revitalizes, it recharges our mission as the church. But one might might ask, why, why is Acts important for our church? here in 2022, um, how does Acts confront the issues and the realities of where we live today? If you're following along in the notes, um, this is going to kind of be the first little blank here, um, where we live. We, we live in a time where many people, they want the results without commitment. We live in a time where many people want results without the commitment. And we, we see this, uh, this fact in many areas of our world uh, that we live in. Um, I used to teach guitar um, back when I was in college. Um, that's when I started. And uh, in music schools, we see this fact where some students, uh, they want all the skills. They want to be able to play that awe-inspiring solo, you know, um, but without the commitment of practicing the basic scales. We even see this in diet trends, where people want that beach body before the summer, you know, um, but without the commitment of healthy eating and regular exercise. Um, we've been also watching in the news the past couple weeks. I don't know if you guys are UH sports fans. Um, I try to watch sports in general, but in the news uh, for UH, um, people want a strong future for Hawaii football without the commitment of funding even, or even improving its facilities. I hear this often, um, you know, in parent-child relationships. Uh, the parents want a strong, strong connection with their kids, and yet we see it without the commitment of spending substantial quality time with them without a phone in their hand. You know, we, we live in a time where many people want results without the commitment. And I wish, I wish I could say like, oh, that doesn't affect the church. Like, no, we, we live in this reality. It affects the church. It's, it's so strange. Strangely enough, we also see this type of phenomenon in the church where we hear statements, maybe not in this church, maybe in this church, but we definitely hear it around churches. We want church growth. But we don't want to commit to outreach or simply inviting our neighbors to worship. We want a healthy church, but we don't want to commit to reconciling our disagreements. I wish our church was a younger church where we had more children, youth, college students, young adults in our church, but we don't want to commit to volunteering our time to help or support them. 
We want a church that feels like family. But we don't want to commit our time or our energy to spend with each other. In fact, some think they're trying to be covert by running down the back stairs after service. Like, you didn't see me. <laughs> Again, we, we live in a time, even in the church, where many people want the results without the commitment. Why is that? People want freedom from group obligations. We see this more and more. Um, people naturally desire the ability to choose what's best for their individual needs, their individual rights. In 1974, Burger King launched this, this new slogan, um, and I don't know if you guys remember it, um, but back in the day, this slogan stuck for years, and it was called, or it said, have it your way. You know, and, and this is really funny because we see this in the secret church model where churches have adopted this have-it-your-way kind of church. But back to the slogan, this was a winsome marketing um, shift for Burger King because it connected with the people and the culture in a way that their competitors overlooked. Have-it-your-way, this slogan emphasized individuality, customization, self-expression, these pillars of the culture in the mid-70s. And guess what? After almost 50 years later, we still see remnants of this philosophy today. It's not that Burger King changed the world, but it definitely spoke into a reality. The metric of success for these businesses and many organizations, and even some churches, it's defined by their ability to cater to individual needs above the group as a whole. But this, the slogan, this is not true of the early church here in Acts 2. This is not how God measures the success of his church. This is not how God measures the health of his church. And this is not how God grew his church. Instead, the Holy Spirit grew his church and empowered them to love each other. And this was done in such a supernatural way that their actions continued to proclaim the gospel to others. Their actions proclaimed the gospel message. Not just their words, their actions proclaimed the gospel, the good news of Jesus to others. So the title of the sermon this morning is the act of effective witness. And again, we will be in Acts 2, 43 through 47. In Acts 2, very briefly, just to recap, Acts 2, we saw how the Holy Spirit descended upon the people of God in a miraculous way. It was so miraculous that the multitudes who witnessed and heard were astonished and perplexed. Some seemed interested by asking these questions, but others they just simply rejected and mocked the message. It was then that Peter stood up again and he proclaimed God's word. The Holy Spirit empowered Peter to boldly proclaim how God poured out his spirit on the church and that God is carrying out his established plan for his kingdom, for his church. What was this plan? Jesus was sent he was crucified for the sins of man. And he was raised from the dead. 
and he gives the promise of new life for all who believe. As we continue to recap, how did they respond to this message? What was last week's text ending on? They were cut to the heart. These people that heard Peter stand up and proclaim Jesus crucified and resurrected, they were cut to the heart. They were affected by this message. They weren't simply emotional, and then they check out, and then they went home. Look at the text. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, brothers, what what shall we do? In verse 37, Peter explained that every one of them must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He explained that this promise was for all who were far off. And get this, in verse 41, Luke records that 3,000 repented and were baptized and added to the church that day. This is where we find ourselves this morning in the text. Luke records in verse uh, 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. My first exhortation with you this morning, attend the fellowship faithfully. Attend the fellowship faithfully. I don't know if you guys watch Lord of the Rings, um, but this is going to be one of those, um, I was there 3,000 years ago moment. Um, I remember a time before cell phones. I don't know if you guys do, but I remember a time before cell phones where word of mouth commitments, they actually meant something. (laughs) You know, they were binding commitments. If someone told you that they were going to meet up with you tomorrow, you didn't have to second guess them. You didn't have to pitch them a second or third text to reconfirm, am I going to actually see you at this time tomorrow? Your word is your bond kind of defined that culture back in the day. Verbal commitments were substantial commitments. You know, but, but now, now even, we live in an era of brittle commitments. You know, we, we live in the Zoom era of attendance. Right? Yeah, I, I hear you guys. You guys know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and please, 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 please. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I'm thankful for Zoom. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, especially for uh, our homebound church members who are watching online and participating in that way. Um, and especially for the medically compromised loved ones. I have family that are medically compromised and they can't come. But something has recently plagued our schools, our offices, many corporations, and even many churches. And it's that healthy people who have the capability of going to Walmart, Target, (laughs) at their pleasure, they choose to opt out of being physically present for any meetings. And it's not for medical reasons, but because it's allowable, it's comfortable, it's quick, it's convenient, it's cost-effective, no gas. (laughs) In fact, I don't even have to turn my camera on or my mic because my presence doesn't matter. You know, I've, I've said it once and I'll say it again. Zoom church is not church. 
You know, it's heartbreaking when I hear that people have to clarify that they attended in person in order to communicate that they were physically present. You know, watching a recording of our Sunday Sunday morning service, whether watching live or pre-recorded, does not mean that you're participating with the entirety of what the church body is about. It means that you viewed a worship service. But what Luke is describing here in these six verses is this pivotal summary that the church was devoted to God in attendance together. What we see here in verses 42 through 47 is something very characteristic of Luke. Um, This is going to be the first of three short summations uh, that Luke uses to indicate that another stage of the church's development is progressing forward. And we're going to see this again in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, a sum-up statement. What is the church? How is it being characterized? And I'm going to bring you back to the text. Look at the way that Luke describes how the early church devoted themselves You know, the Greek construction of the word devoted themselves, um, it expresses this ongoing, perpetual, continuous devotion. It's ongoing commitment. They were persistently loyal. They were persevering in their allegiance in something. It wasn't just devoted. Constantly. And this is something that's key for us to understand. Their commitment was not based on guilt, It was not based on pragmatism. It wasn't based on being cool or the trendy church. You know, a pastor once commented when when looking for a church, many people go and search for the fun church, the exciting music church, the youth church, the, the kids club church, the Republican church, the, the, the social justice church, the business leaders church or the athletic church. But this is what the pastor says. When in reality, we simply need a true biblical church. We need to be a church that continually devotes themselves to sound teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Attend the fellowship faithfully. How did the other church do this? Notice how Luke uses definite definite articles in front of each of these actions. The apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. These are specific things, not just any type of teaching, any type of fellowship and gathering. This would have been understood by Luke's first audience. And it's because of this that many scholars believe it's more preferable to see these four elements as a whole instead of separate. Luke is describing the early church's worship together. So what does the text say? What what were they continually devoting themselves to? They were continually devoting themselves to, first, the apostles' teaching. This is not just any form of teaching. Again, this was a specific form of teaching. And it wasn't some form of teaching with mere opinionated rants. this This is not a comedy club. I've seen pastors try to act like he's a comedian behind the pulpit. This is unacceptable. This is not a comedy club. This is not a chance for me to entertain you with cheap thrills, cliches, and gimmicks. This is certainly not me telling you stories about myself, explaining my personality type to you. Oh, 
You know, I'll, I'll sprinkle in some, some scripture here and there for good measure because I'm, I'm in church. No, they were filled with the Spirit together. And because they were filled with the Spirit together, they continually devoted themselves to be filled with the Word of God together. You cannot separate these two. This is what Paul means when he wrote, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. I love how one scholar writes this. He says, the early church was together a Bible-studying church, steadfastly, continually devoted to devouring, I love that, devouring the word of God that came from the apostles. This early church made much of the scriptures, taught by men who were instructed by Jesus, men who were eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection, and men who were trained by Jesus himself. These apostles were men taught with the authority of Jesus from his word, with his word. A wise friend of mine once told me, uh, don't just attend the church closest in proximity to your home, become a member of the church closest to the Bible. This church was also devoted to fellowship, not just fellowship, but the fellowship. Here, Luke uses this word koinonia. They're experiencing koinonia together. It's, communicate, it's communicating a type of close relationship, a communion with others, a heartfelt, meaningful togetherness. And in, in verse 46, um, there's this picture of breaking, uh, the breaking of bread, um, and, and they're doing it from house to house, or at each house, day by day. I just want to pause very quickly. Does this, house to house, day by day, does this describe the fellowship you've experienced here at Wildlife Baptist Church? You know, do, does your fellowship consist of bringing other believers into your home, into your living space? Or do you, do you simply just try to think like, oh, that's the pastor's job. Or, or I'm going to keep that fellowship stuff here at this building, then I go home. When the church gathers, it is this understanding of a close-knit family, experiencing and enjoying the love from the Father, through the Son, and in the Holy Spirit, in each of their houses they felt God's love expressed. They saw God's love in action, and they knew God's love experientially. This is the love of God on display through the relationships they shared with each other. And yet, maybe some of us that have been here for years at this church, decades even, and you still never hosted anyone else in your home, I have a question for you, church. Are you ready? And what does Luke mean here um, by the breaking of bread and the prayers? Um, you know, there, there, there's a lot of things that are said. Uh, I just want to briefly go over a couple of interpretations because it will help us in this text. Um, there, there's a couple major interpretations for the breaking of bread. Uh, one interpretation is simply the sharing of a meal together. Um, and this view emphasizes the warmth 
Um, the, the intimacy, the celebration, um, and the commonality of sharing a meal with loved ones. Um, the other major interpretation takes this a step even further. Um, with their ongoing devotion to feast, to dine together, they also incorporated with the meal a celebration of the Lord's Supper, or what, what we call the communion. And so, um, just like baptism, communion is, is this word picture that continues to proclaim, not with words per se, but with images, where this one bread that is broken for all represents Jesus' body that was broken on the cross. You know, the, the crushed, <laughs> crushed grape juice of the vine, the crushed grape of the vine, um, it represents how Jesus was crushed in our place. And the cup reminds us of Jesus' blood that was poured out in order to make us right before God. The Lord's Supper, it levels the playing field in the sense that all Christians come together in unity at the foot of the cross to confront our sin and behold the beauty of God's love displayed on the cross. The text also says that they ongoingly devoted themselves to the prayers. Um, this could be referring to um, liturgical types of prayer, memorized prayer, or even referencing to the prayers that they're going to be doing at the temple. But um, there's also much discussion about other parts of this text, like many wonders and signs um, that the apostles did. But, but don't miss the effects of both of these. Don't miss the effects of these signs and wonders. What did it do? It confirmed the apostles' teaching, and it led them to awe, this profound sense of who God is. Much like the miraculous event that took place in the beginning of this chapter, these many wonders and signs, it was not the end-all goal. The real end goal was that unbelievers were brought to receive the word of God. However we interpret the prayers and the many wonders and signs, we must keep in mind that it was done in light of the other three elements. It was directly connected to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread together. All of these elements led them to a deeper sense of awe of God. These were the elements that characterized the church. Church family, continually devote yourselves to attend, to take part in, together, the church fellowship faithfully. Luke continues in verse 44, recording that all who believed were together and had all things in common. Look at the way that Luke describes this community even further. And he uses this play on words that um, you can see in the Greek um, where he uses this word uh, for fellowship and in common. Uh, fellowship, koinonia, in common, koina. What he's trying to explain here is this togetherness. Their togetherness was evidenced by their sharing together of material things. Luke is speaking of the generosity that was a unique mark of the church. It's very important that you understand that um, Luke here isn't trying to emphasize um, that we need to liquidate all of our assets right now. <laughs> um, becoming a church member um, or every Sunday, liquidate everything you have and put it in this large pool. You know, this isn't communism. This isn't socialism. Um, but we need to kind of regard what he's talking about. 
And the tense of this word is really going to help us. What does this sharing look like? This tense implies that this was part of an ongoing devotion. They weren't selling everything at once, but it was the sharing that was done again and again and again, day by day, as needs arose. This community that cultivated generous hearts together did so intentionally. You know, they also cultivated the community intentionally um, by prayer and witness. The same word used here in verse 42, exactly tense, number, everything, um, is uh, the same word, devoted yourselves, the same word used in 46 for attended. This helps us understand what Luke meant in verse 46, in their attendance at the temple. They were ongoingly devoted at the temple. As we're going to see in chapter 3, they were devoting themselves to prayer together at the temple, but also devoting themselves to witness together at the temple. We're going to see this in chapter 3 and in chapter 5. You know, but this didn't end here. This didn't end here. They also cultivated the community intentionally by breaking bread in their homes. We're going to come back to this point. They broke bread in their homes. And they also received their food with glad and generous hearts, which resulted in praising God. Paul Hill writes, If the temple was a place of witness, homes were a place for fellowship. The construction of in their homes seems to suggest that they met in various homes, not just one house repeatedly over and over again. Let's pause one more time. Believers here at Wildlife Baptist Church, are you ready? Are you ready to open up your home? Are you ready to be part of a community in ongoing devotion together? You know, what would our fellowship look like if we, were, if we started meeting together in each other's houses regularly, apart from Sunday worship? And not only that, what would it look like if we ate together? People from different families joining together as the family of God. And not only that, what would it look like if this was a regular rhythm of our church life, where we pray together, where we feast together, where we devour the word together and praise God together? In the late 90s, mid-2000s, there was a a growing movement called the Secular Church Movement. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, Um, but the the purpose of secular churches was keep the fellowship, you know, keep the community aspects, keep the benefits of loving together in community, keep that part, but make that the center. You know, um, one reporter says, um, excise cut off, remove all that distracting belief in God stuff. Keep the fellowship part. Keep the love part. Excise God from the picture because that's what the people need the most. It's really heartbreaking. Um, A friend of mine uh, I I got to talk to actually lived on a commune of one of those in California. Um, And I I was talking to him about it and I asked him, like, "Why, why did you go? And he said, you know, I was drawn by the high-energy services, and how they would, at the top of their lungs, sing new renditions of pop songs, like living on a prayer together. 
their desire to listen uh, to someone speak was inspiring. And whoever was speaking um, and teaching that morning was giving a celebratory speech of humanity. And afterward, they would eat coffee and donuts together in the foyer. It seemed like they were successful, that they were able to replicate the fellowship and the service of the Christians. But the Atlantic and other reports um, actually record something different. Reports and records reveal the attendance has continued to decline after its initial start, and some of these chapters have even shut down after two years. Why is that? People began to notice as one reporter explains, the yearning for belonging is not enough. Excising God from the community is not enough. High energy pop singing was not enough. A TED talk celebrating human achievement is not enough. Helping others to live life as fully as possible was not enough. Gathering herds of people of all ages, races, and social spheres was not enough. This expert, the secular expert, concludes with this final thought. You can't just meet for the sake of community itself. You need a very powerful, motivating element to keep people coming, something that attendees have in common. Think about that for just a moment. How is it that this community here in Acts 2 is something we can still take part in today? After nearly 2,000 years, this community, the church, has gone through ongoing vicious persecution, outrageous, tyrannical powers, catastrophic natural disasters, corrupt pastors and ministers, and devastating plagues. What is sustaining this community? Why is this community still committed to gathering together? What could be motivating them? What is keeping them in common to want to meet with the same people over and over again? It is God's overflowing love. That's what this community was committed to. That's what this community experienced, that's what this community had in common, that's what this community expressed, and that's what enabled this community to take action. It was God's overflowing love. It was realized, it was obtained through Jesus, and it was actualized through the Holy Spirit. Church family, we need to be a church that displays God's overflowing love day by day. And I'm going to say this once again, church is not a building. Church is not a building. It's a people. Church is not a service on Sunday. It's a people continually devoted to overflowing with God's love to each other day by day. And it's not like those group projects in high school where you hope one person will do all the work for us or that you don't trust people to do the work so you do it yourselves. We need to cultivate the community of God intentionally together. This means individually we have to be filled with God's love to overflow it and this also means collectively we all have to be filled with God's love to overflow it. Cultivate the community 
intentionally. Church, we need to display God's overflowing love. How often? Day by day. Luke continues in verse 47. You know, and, and they were praising God together and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, this, this final verse gives a beautiful balance between church life and its witness. One scholar was saying, like, if we didn't have 47b, the ending half of verse 47 in this text, we would see a very selfish people that was just excited about teaching, excited about absorbing everything they could. And yet, we see this beautiful balance. 47b tells us that it wasn't just a club of people together singing club songs, paying their club dues, and then going home. No, they witnessed. Luke explains that community life in the church was visible. It was visible from the inside. If you were inside, it was visible. From the outside, it was visible. It was so visible that all, he says, all the people in the community took notice. They had favor with all the people. They were known as the group that shared a supernatural, an unimaginable, a recognizable, generous love that could only come from God. You know, talking to Matt and Christopher um, this past week, uh, if we went door to door <laughs> in our community, maybe within a five block perimeter, two block perimeter, and we asked each person, knock on the door um, in our neighborhood, what words come to mind when you hear of Wildlife Baptist Church? What do you think they're going to say? In hope, I ask these questions. Will they speak of our witness? Will they speak of our ongoing devotion to the teaching of God's word? Will, will, will they speak of how we are a church eagerly devoted to pray together? <laughs> will, will they complain at the volumes we sing praises to God? Will they speak of a supernatural culture of generosity that they saw? Maybe they even personally witnessed. Or will they speak of an empty parking lot Monday through Saturday? Will they speak of an outdate, outdated business strategy? A disengaged group of people who have lost impact within the community? Will they speak of a hermetically sealed community of Bible thumpers and judgers? I love how one scholar comments, on its own, verse 42 presents a very lopsided picture of the church's life. Verse 47b is extremely important. Those first Jerusalem Christians were not so preoccupied with learning, sharing, and worshiping that they forgot about witnessing. Church family, they were a witnessing church. They were a missional church. They were a community-driven church. Just as the early church devoted themselves day by day to the love of God and loving each other, God added their number day by day, those who were being saved. Don't miss that. Devoted to each other day by day, God added to their numbers day by day, those who were being saved. 
As one New Testament scholar writes, um, this is what we need to strive for as a church, a people who constantly return to and discover anew the togetherness of the church that is essential for an effective witness. If the linchpin of church life is based on being in community with one another, how many of us here this morning have compromised our role in the church by simply being Sunday morning Christians? Or maybe you're simply just okay with participating in the sound teaching element of the church. Or maybe I'm going to just keep the fellowship part because eating together is fun. You feel like you can dismiss the rest. I want to exhort to you guys, no, this is not a la carte Christianity. You need all of the above. You need the sound teaching. You need the fellowship. You need the breaking of bread. You need the times of prayer together. You need the community. You need the table fellowship day by day. You need to engage on mission together day by day. We need to overflow with expressing God's love to each other. And not only that, not only do we need this, they, those people, in the community, who do not know Jesus, they need to see this in us. They need to witness what the gospel at work looks like, what the affected life, the life that lives by the Spirit because of Christ crucified on the cross, they need to see change in us for the sake of their lives being saved. And, and just really quick, I apologize to you if you have seen terrible examples of what Christianity and the church is supposed to look like. I get church hurt. I get churches have messed up this message before. What I'm saying here is, here at our church, we need to take a stand, and we need to stop trying to pilfer out fake gospels and pilfer out fake images of the church. We need to be a missional church. We need to have an authentic love for each other. They need to see that. We need to see that. I'm going to conclude our time really quick. I know that I'm going over, um, but follow along with me. For all of us listening here this morning, I want to challenge you with our first point. Again, attend the fellowship faithfully. Faithful Christians, failing Christians. If you're a Christian, listen to this point. Have you lost the joy of gathering together? You know, sure, there are some who fear the virus, but maybe you're afraid of commitment to people. It's going to take time. What if they don't accept me? You know, is that you this morning? Attend the fellowship faithfully. Seekers, skeptics, doubters, those who are not Christian, disillusioned by false representations of what the church is supposed to be. I want to challenge you to turn to Christ. It's the same message over and over again, the same concluding point, non-believers, turn to Christ. Only in him will you experience what it means to participate in this life, in this community that we read about, done together. And if you don't believe me just yet, seekers, skeptics, doubters, non-believers, Again, the same point, attend the fellowship faithfully. Keep on coming back. 
I pray that you will see the awe of God in our relationships. Attend the fellowship faithfully. Don't just attend, observe. Observe the interactions of the fellowship. Do you see something unique when you come here? Do you feel a sense of awe when you come here and hear the word of God proclaimed? Do you see this awe in the relationships of Christians surrounding you? And if you have yet to witness that here, this awe, I have a small group of people that I'd like to introduce you to. I know they've experienced this awe, and I know they'll be excited to talk to you about it. Faithful Christians, failing Christians, church members, soon-to-be church members, I want to challenge you. The second point again, cultivate the community together. Do you see God's overflowing love pouring out of your church community day by day? Do you see God's love overflowing through church members gathering together to witness around the community together? Do you see God's overflowing love in church members generously sacrificing for each other whenever needs arise within the church community? Or instead, do you see a trickle here and there of God's love? If you're interested in cultivating the community together, come and talk to me. Again, we have a place for that. I've said that since the first time I spoke here. We have a place for this, to cultivate community. Join us for our small group ministry. Don't just wait for community to somehow appear one day and exist. Build community with us here. And for those of you online, homebound members, I'm thankful that you guys are watching online. But don't fall into the temptation of disengaging from the fellowship, from the church community. Let's, as a church body, be creative. Let's find ways to write to each other, whether on paper or emails, or let's talk on the phone and stay engaged as the church community. We need to be the church that leans into community, that cultivates community together. And finally, church family, I want to challenge us to trust God for the results eagerly. Are we being the church that cheerfully prepares for growth? Are we? If 3,000 people, 300 people, if three people received God's word this morning and repented of their sin, will we be cheerfully, eagerly, passionately prepared to invest in them, to disciple them, to have them baptized, and to add them into our church membership, or are we simply going to stick them in a classroom, have them watch a video, memorize a scripture verse or two, and just wait for 25 of us to gather to vote on their membership? Do we have an eagerness to see people's lives changed by the gospel message? While our Baptist church I believe that we as a whole church body can do much better. We can always do much better. Are you ready to act? Are you ready to be his church 